Bodies are hard, and I think they're always storytelling. I know we've all heard the body keeps the score. It does. But what if the score looks different for everyone? I remember the first time I noticed my body. It was when someone else mentioned it. Not just a notice of my body, but a particular area of my breasts. I had started growing breasts and hadn't realized. Well, now I was all eyes and at attention. I always felt different from other people around me at school. I always felt like I didn't fit in. At this rate, I was already a bit taller than others, and now I have breasts. It truly was a rough turn of events. You know what? I noticed how I could never unsee my body as something people saw. Let me explain. I never felt like people got to know me. Instead, they just saw these ever-blossoming breasts. I remember things in pieces. As you know, you're young, and there's so much going on at that age. I do remember that suddenly I became a lover of jackets. I loved a big oversized sweatshirt and jacket. Hmm. This is why I still love oversized jackets. Safety, grounded, and protection. Hmm. I'll return to that thought later. By the time I was 12, my body was full-blown into bloom season. I was starting to become a young woman, a young lady, or just another preteen struggling with emotions, being around others, our bodies, pop culture, and everything else. I'm a late 90s kid who saw many changes in the world around the way bodies were talked about and the way they were presented. Do you remember middle school or what some would call secondary school? That was when it all changed and took full momentum. What took on momentum, you ask? When I started to feel the sexualization of my body, of all of our bodies. TRL was thriving and the thong song came out. Middle school was that big transition of emotions, from feeling like a kid to feeling like, uh, not a kid? But genuinely being lost and thrown into a weird world. Yep, that was middle school. Then others' bodies started developing. So the eyes were off me. But when I realized what eyes were on and hormones were flying, all of us. This is where we started going to parties and having crushes and everyone focused on who was dating who. That was cool. And I was intrigued and into it, but I thought most boys were annoying and I just wanted to be at home watching wrestling. Let me give you a visual of who I was around that time. I was bushy eyebrowed, caterpillar honey, and we're talking thick caterpillars covering my eyes. I was in the band. I played the alto saxophone, such a beautiful and heavy. After a while into playing it, I was around 5'7 with breasts and long legs. It was a lot going on trying to figure out friendships, being around tons of new people, my own body, clothes, and trends. I don't know about you, but this is a very tiresome time. And with it all, I started to see the focus and conversations around bodies change around me. I somehow made it through middle school, somehow together. I now knew about thongs, dropping them, and unfortunately, I learned that my body kept me out of many things. This is something I've spoken to friends about, including my friend Jordy, who I've also gotten to work with on really cool projects. When was the first time you noticed your body? The first time I noticed my body. That's so interesting. I feel like my body has always been a vehicle. I've been very aware of like, 
my body moving through space and being able to play and explore and navigate it. I think the first time, and it kind of blends into like a period of my life where I started to notice just how people saw me or perceived of me because of the body that I'm in, because of the genitals that I have. And that being that perception and how I'm supposed to navigate within that perception, being at odds with what I actually want to do. So I think I I noticed that kind of tension. Mm-hmm. I think it was I think it was tension that caused me to notice my body. Mm. And it was that tension of not being able to get the girl toy and not even like the girl toy, but the Barbie in like the McDonald's, like Mm -hmm. um, happy meal. Yeah. (laughs) And not being able to play with my cousin's easy bake oven because that wasn't allowed or not being able to dress up as, as Merelda for Halloween, because I, I couldn't do that in the body that I was in. So I feel like tension and limitation made me very aware of my body. And that was maybe around like five. So it's early for you. Yeah. What does shame feel like in your body? What does shame feel like in my body? Shame for me is very connected to a lot of secrecy in a lot of ways. Like shame, in my shame or emotions like shame, I have kept a lot of things to myself. In even being shamed and like having that feeling of like being shamed by, you know, like parents or Mm -hmm. family members or people on the street, teachers, in that action of being shamed and how shame is used to dominate or to exert power or take away power, I definitely have kept a lot of things to myself in ways that, like, if there were things that I specifically was ashamed of, I wouldn't share them with other people. I would keep secrets. I wouldn't tell people that I was going through emotions of shame. Shame for me, like in my body, shame feels kind of like a swallowing. Like it's like I could easily just like let this out and Mm -hmm. like have a, a plethora of reactions towards what has been spoken or, or, uh, or just done or expressed outwardly, um, publicly. Um, and instead, there is a swallowing, there is a there is a, a burying a little bit. And that's definitely changed, especially in like more recently, even just the past decade, it's changed a lot in understanding my own autonomy taking control over how my emotions are received and who receives my emotions and how being very clear about the kinds of 
people that I want to be around in whatever emotional states I may be in with whatever I do on this planet. But I think prior to me shifting my relationship with shame, it was very much that, a swallowing, a secrecy, and a burying, and a withholding of information in relationship to also being shamed by other Mm -hmm. people. High school. Well, that place was a journey. I thought I had it figured out. My body was okay. I felt okay in it. I felt like I knew it and started to feel comfortable in it. I started wearing fewer oversized jackets and everyone else around me was beginning to blossom. I didn't have as many eyes on me. I was navigating new territory though. Remember how I thought middle school was a big transition? Well, that was because I hadn't touched the ground of Poly High School. When I think about high school, I think about that time in my life when there was no money you could have ever asked me to do it again. But honestly, folks always say everything has a price. And every time I look them dead in the eyes and I say, not for me. My high school was in a nice area, middle class-ish, but we had rich kids, not middle class folks. The rich kids made school impossible. Did I mention race imbalance and an idea of who should be in the group? This is a different podcast, but this body became more on the forefront again. I remember having varied groups of friends, which is me to this day. Different talks for different parts of me. Hmm. Maybe this is also why I'm polyamorous. Is this a processing show? (laughs) I have points in my life that I remember and will always haunt me or have a hold on me. And one thing I can think of was in the ninth grade. I had a, a friend. We will call her B. She looked me directly in the eye and said, at least I know guys like me and it isn't just about my tits. Remember how middle school was an actual mindfuck? Well, Matthew Gage Middle School had nothing on Polytechnic High School. It was as if the dynamics of who I thought I was and who I thought I could be all came crashing down. I had attention, but not in the way that anyone truly wanted. I had guys trying to talk to me and girls glaring at me, while the entire time internally, I didn't even want to exist. It was all so much, a new place with hundreds of new people, and it wasn't the high school I had seen in all the teen movies. I mean, I was a black girl that some groups shunned until they needed a black face. I was the one that hung out and floated around and ended up sticking around one or two people or sitting in a teacher's classroom that I liked at lunch. Yeah, I did become that girl. But honestly, I found solace in emo music and became too obsessed with my body in private because that one comment opened the door for my spiral. I found Anna that year, something I never genuinely have talked about. If you have never heard about Anna, you're missing nothing. Anna is an acronym for anorexia. You know that wild thing about Anna, about back in the early 2000s? She was everywhere. With the rise of social media and the internet, getting access to information was effortless. So it was wild when I started writing all of this down to share the story of my body and shame with you all. I never thought we would end up here. I of course knew I could be doing a total dump of who I am, who I've been, who I was, and hopefully also where I was going. But if I was gonna be honest with myself, 
and you. Being in this body has been a tough road with many jump off points. In my time with Anna, our relationship fluctuated from 15 to 20 years old. It didn't look the way most people would assume. I was never underweight, so no one ever noticed. I was never a fan of sweets or lots of meat, so restricting became pretty easy. I stayed busy and didn't want to eat. I used to say I just like to drink my calories when I got older. I mean, genuinely, folks were not hearing what I was saying. Shame is what people put upon you and guilt is how you carry it yourself. That one comment from B changed the trajectory of my life because that was one of, not the only one, but one of those comments I've held on to even at my 36 years of life. My name is Sonali Rashidwar and I use they and he pronouns. Sonali is a sex therapist and a clinical social worker who specializes in trauma. I know recently and they've been talking about like the chic style is back. The chic style looks dangerous. I don't know what the chic style is. It's it's bringing back the idea that thin is in. Like that oh. is the way that we should be dressing. I believe it was I'm not gonna put I don't know, the New York Post. I believe, I don't know, take that off. If not, we're gonna try to get sued. But <laughs> it was a prominent, let's say it was a prominent magazine uh, slash newspaper that was talking about this type of body is back in. And there are a lot of people that were in uproar about it because we've been through this. Mm. And we've seen how dangerous it is. And, you know, it leads to the work that we have to do, working with folks around shame and guilt in our bodies, because everything about what we stand for, what we look like, is told we're wrong. What does it look like to be continuously told we're wrong? Like, we don't fit here. In that, because you mentioned like around the age 13, that a lot of these feelings were so strong, looking for Anna content, that around those teen years is the time developmentally that we are really needing psychologically and cognitively to fit in with our peers. And if we don't, there are a lot of actually like developmental milestones that we don't get to reach Mm -hmm. if we don't successfully feel like we have peers that we fit in with. To me, like extra rings true why it is important for places like Instagram to really be careful about what kinds of hashtags they ban and what kinds of content they do not allow on the platform where teenagers will be. Because those are our really vulnerable years. I mean, we're always vulnerable. We should always be having that kind of like sensitive protectiveness around our minds and our hearts at every age, but especially then when we're looking for any way to fit in and belong. If you could go back to that little human, that little 13-year-old baby that was just making it, what kind of advice would you give to that human? Keep believing in yourself. Keep making art. Don't shrink yourself. Keep dreaming. I thought this shared journey would be just about my visual body or wild sex stories filled between guilt and shame. But we can note that most humans are not one-sided. We have many sides. This is a big part of my life and my body. The shame I have felt with the image of who I am started initially at home. I don't think my family meant any harm, but the constant comments on how I looked, how my breasts developed and how skinny I was. Hearing, wow, I wish I looked like you as a teenager. That was being thrown into it all. 
pop culture, high school, the internet, and everything else. True absorption time and then realizing, oh, I want to date or whatever, and saw a particular kind of human that was getting attention, and it wasn't me. The way this brain is all over the place is a true reflection of what my body has done to me and has taken me places. High school was a real time of navigation and preservation. I started to keep to myself more and more because I couldn't manage it all in my head. I, of course, had my best friends who were in different groups and thankful I still have them to this day. But I started to feel like I wasn't the status quo for anything and internalized it all. I blamed myself because I stood up for myself and got shut down. I couldn't change my body more than I could change it. So I started holding on to all direct comments, whispers, and my internal voice. The shame projected onto me from others was truly uncanny because they didn't get the attention I got, which I did not want. They shamed me for it and made me feel bad for being here, for, in some ways, existing because I had no other choice. I started working my first job in retail when I was 17. This was another big turning point for me. I worked with other high school and college students, which opened my eyes to a new possible world. I found a community that let me just be me. They showed me other parts of the world and different ways that people lived and navigated life. But while having more openly queer friends and folks in college, I felt like, oh shit, this is who I am. And those people shunning me, shaming me, leaving me to hold this big bag of guilt were wrong. And whatever they had going on had nothing to do with me. So back when I was 17, I had my first kiss, my first boyfriend, and the first time I had sex. And I felt seen, not just for my body, but for my brain and interest in music. I found that 17 to 18 were the most amazing years in ways of opening my eyes to the fact that I did belong somewhere. But I also started to question my sexuality. And no, it was not because I started to be around more openly queer kids, but because it was normal then. And I got to exhale and see what worked for me. Granted, I did not come out for 10 more years as a bisexual woman, but hey, we're all on our own journeys here. Having compassion for your younger self isn't always easy, but it's important. My friend Eugene, who I actually just met at a wedding, we were talking about this recently. If you could give the younger you advice, what would you tell younger you? I would tell him not to tie your confidence to body image. Develop your confidence and sense of self through who you are, my personality as a person. Because I did the other route. I tied it to my body image. And I see the result now. And I'd be interested and I would love younger me to be like, you know, do that. Do the other way. You'll be happier. You'll find fulfillment a lot easier. And you'll be able to concentrate on different things and go into things with a bit more confidence, you know. Then you wouldn't really care so much about how people perceive you. Yeah. We found confidence. Confidence that my body was a vessel allowed to fit into different areas and spaces. That was the first time I could step outside of everyone else. I could break free of some of the shame and guilt. Bring on college. So college is supposed to be a time of growth and magic. Magic, blah, blah, blah. I mean, okay, I did have all of that, but I also felt like a lot of the life that most go through before college, I was living now. 
See, I only ever had passive attention. I had no drama with others because I shrunk myself for a long time. I shrank myself so no one would see me. I mean, the oversized sweatshirt, the small me era, <laughs> was a time, honey. Something changed right before college, though. I experienced my first love. When someone sees you, it truly is a confidence boost. When they see past all your sadness and body struggles and love you for how you show up. It can also affect the way you see yourself, which I think folks need to talk about more. So as my shrunken era was ending, I was coming into college where I was now a tiny, but pretty damn cute fish in a large pond. And what do other kind of environments like? Fortunately and unfortunately, new young college freshman girls. What came with that was an immense amount of attention. Most of us had never lived away from home. And we have a newfound responsibility of taking care of ourselves and jumping into what feels like an already moving car. New roles, new structures, new boundaries, and no roadmap. I acquired this group of friends, other predominantly black men and women. Why does that matter? Well, context, duh. But also because I was mainly around a lot of non-black people. This was also when I realized, oh, it wasn't that I was unattractive the entire time. They just weren't my people and I was not theirs. Beauty standards were also looked at differently. I was made fun of or talked about behind my back, which I had always then heard about. Not everything folks saw and thought was beautiful to my legs, full lips, curvy body and breasts. I had never had all these guys wanting to hang out with me. And honestly, if we were 100%, it felt so powerful. I still claim that my freshman year of college is when I learned the power of the pussy. But you remember how I mentioned college came with other things I had never experienced? Bullying and aggressive shame from my peers, or at the time, my friends. There were a lot of comments around and about my body what I should wear, what I shouldn't wear, who was looking at me, and who wasn't looking at me. It was truly such an overload that many times during my first few years, I just locked myself in my room. It truly peaked in my second year. We lived in an apartment across the street from the school, and well, we saw a lot, did a lot, and I said a lot. I've always said, do not ask me a question if you do not want the truth. And well, people were doing a lot of dirt, and truth was not what they sought. So I was somewhat accosted, made fun of, and lied to. And I started to shrink myself again. How do you see shame, guilt, and grief cohabitating together? Or do they? You know, when I work with folks, it's a really interesting moment to have this conversation while we're surviving a plague together. You know, like I've lost a lot of family in this plague. Now a lot of us have. And with a lot of clients that I've worked with who experience that grief, we often feel regret because we don't know when the end is. And we can experience guilt or shame with how relationships end without us getting to finish them the way we would have wanted to. Losing close ones when there was like a contentious relationship. Losing loved ones when there was like anger or active hatred that wasn't resolved before the end came. 
Yeah, I think they contribute to like complex grief. How'd you get here? What brought you to this work? <laughs> You're like, well, parents, but no, <laughs> what brought you to this work? Like no one just wakes up one day. You're like, you know, what I want to talk about my body and say, people are like, how do you do it? I'm like, it just is me. Needing to have the adults that I wish I had when I was a kid. I wish that there was even one adult who told me that my body was okay the way it was, or like told my parents to stop putting me on non-consensual diets. And so when we don't grow up with those adults, we sometimes become them. And so I also grew up in an abusive family where we needed a mediator. We needed someone who understood trauma. We needed someone who understood how we got here intergenerationally. How did we become a family who treats each other like this? <laughs> and how do we become something a little bit different? And I think that's how a lot of black and brown healers find themselves to this work. We like actually have to go and seek out that knowledge and bring it back to our communities so that we can heal ourselves. I think that's how I found this work. After a few years of feeling unique and powerful, it all came tumbling down. It was a different kind of shame put upon me. This time, it felt different. This shame felt violent and aggressive, as opposed to family shame or high school societal shame. It felt like the stakes had changed. It felt like someone threw a weighted blanket on me, and I was a sad, wet cat that just couldn't anymore. Do you know the wild part? No one knew how deep I was in my shame spirals or what the guilt was doing to me. But because I was the queen of wearing a good mask, I think those of us who have experienced trauma throughout our lives learn how to mask up to keep ourselves alive and well. Hey, listener, we're taking a pause here, but episode two is available for you to listen to now, wherever you get your podcasts. 